That's what we live for, isn't it? The prophet told us in 1964 that the hope of the church in this hour was the coming of the Lord. Well, if he said that in 1964, you wonder what it is now in 2024. It ought to be the very hope of what we live for every day of our life, shouldn't it? Praise the Lord. Let us uh, read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you would, tonight. <clears throat> I guess we're still on, Brother Joe, Brother Rob, for the question of interest tomorrow night at 7, 7 o'clock. Okay. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together. Tempered, to mix together, co-mingle, to unite, cause several parts to combine into an organic structure, which is the body, to unite one thing to another. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. If the lacking parts could be able to accept that, how smooth everything would truly be. Now Paul's taking the natural body, the anatomy of the human body, and running a parallel to the spiritual body of Christ. Notice in verse 25, that there should be no schism, division, rent. Metaphorically, it's a division or a dissension. Now, the reason that God would give more abundant honor to the part which is uncomely is to equal out so that it wouldn't cause a schism or a division in the body. In other words, no big eyes and little U's and this one's really important and this one's sort of kind of important and that one ain't important. But if we could realize that God places them there. Actually, diversity to me expresses the greatness of God. We will always have diversity. You say in heaven? Absolutely in heaven. There will be degrees in heaven. You didn't know that. Well, the prophet said that. Word for word, just what I told you. Degrees in heaven. But you see, the part about degrees that bothers us now will not be there. There will be degrees in heaven. There always has been and always will be. And all of that in heaven, the part that bothers humans about it now, will be missing. So everybody will be fine with it. I guarantee you, I, I could ask you or not, what do you think the ideal temperature will be in heaven? And some of you all are at a very dangerous time in your life right now. <clears throat> Temperature-wise, I'm talking about. And some of you would probably say, oh, dear God, I hope it's at least 58. <sighs> 58. Others of you are past that time in your life and you're hoping it's going to be 75 and some of you think it's going to be 80. Me and Carol was talking about it yesterday and I told you, you know, the thing of it is, whatever it's going to be, it'll be absolutely perfect. And what's amazing is nobody will complain. Wow. Forget the gates of pearl. Forget streets of gold. There'll be nobody complaining. Nobody arguing. Nobody debating, nobody fussing. Won't that be awesome? It's almost more than what we can imagine. 
But I really believe that there can be this unity of the Spirit of God and among the people before we get there. Let's read this scripture we closed out with last Wednesday night, Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. No doubt Paul hated, absolutely hated to have to deal with these things. Corinthian church was a, was a church that was, had so many issues and problems. But in reality, if it had not have been there, now God never caused them, but God took the problems in the Corinthian church, and if it had not been for Paul dealing with them in that church, we would not have some of these things through the entire New Testament. He doesn't mention the Ephesian church, Galatian church, church at Philippi, church at Thessalonica. It's not mentioned anywhere else. So God didn't cause it. But God took it and caused this apostle to be able to write things that's still an answer to a lot of the things we deal with today. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. We're going to pray. Please pray for Julian Ivy. He passed out at work today, went to the ER, and is now home. They did test, but didn't find anything, so continue to pray for him. How many else has a need or request tonight on your heart before the Lord? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful, Lord Jesus. What I just spoke about there for a moment, Lord, what a perfect place lays before us. This world, even in its fallen state, is an awesome place to live. It can be so beautiful. The flowers, the trees, the animals, all the things that you made, the heavens, the constellations, the stars, the universe, what an awesome world you have made. So we know it's not because of the lack of beauty and the lack of the hand of the Creator, but it's the sin of man. Dear God, how we long for the day when it will be fully redeemed. Father, that all the things that trouble us will be taken away. Lord Jesus, may every one of us be ready for that hour. Father, we pray for Brother Julian tonight that you'd be mindful of him, Lord. You see what happened to him today, and we're praying, Father, there'll be no evil that'll come of this. You saw the hands that were uplifted signifying different types of needs and requests. Would you be mindful of them? I pray, Father, that you'd help me to get out of the way. Father, speak through me tonight. In the name of Jesus, we ask. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Read with me now again, if you would, back in, in 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> where Paul goes on to say about the body, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, whenever we look at this and we think of what a miraculous thing that that can be that God by a unity that is beyond any human, human unity could ever produce. Now we'll take our church tonight. We'll use it as an example. So we have people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different racial backgrounds and all that from different religious backgrounds even. And yet, if God could be able to take each of us 
and bring us to a place that we would be as they were in the day of Pentecost in that one accord and with the one mind which was given to us by the Lord. What a great thing God can do. Well, then you multiply that by hundreds and thousands of churches that are around the world made up just like ours. Some of them larger, some of them smaller, but coming from different parts of the the earth, different religious backgrounds, different natural backgrounds, and all of that affects who we are. So some of us, if you'd get in our vehicles after church and some of you would resume the music you were listening to on your way to church. Some of you, it's gonna be country gospel. Some of it is gonna be maybe a little bit more of a modern flair. Some of you might have a little bit of classical. Some of you ain't gonna have none because you don't care for music, no way. So can you imagine now you bring all them people together and you've got all these musicians and their makeup is different. Song leaders are different. Special singers are different. And then you will sit there and, well, I really like hearing brother so-and-so. And I really like hearing sister so-and-so because the style they sing, I just like that so well. But you know what? God made every one of us to be just a little bit different. And when we can move beyond our own personal taste, well, I like this and I like that, but so do the other people sitting behind you. They have their own like, and the ones in front of you, and maybe even the ones sitting beside you, they have their own like. So they like a preacher that preaches a certain way. And others say, I can't understand him. He talks too fast. Uh, And others say, he takes so long to say it. Come on, man, say it, get it out, spit it out. And others say, oh, glory to God, I just like somebody in the middle. And you think, how in the world could it ever be that God would bring us all together? But he does, and he will even greater. Because this is what he wants to do, to bring that unity in such a place. Don't you understand why unity is such an important thing to God? Because it's something the kingdom of hell will never achieve. Satan can have an element of political unity until you cross their politics and then they fall apart. And they can have a religious unity to a certain degree. God will produce a unity in his body that the kingdom of hell cannot even come close to producing. Ain't that wonderful? And God can be able to make people that would be so different from one another. But notice how Paul says this, that whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Now that could be a a more of an agreeable tone maybe than what the latter part of this verse would say. Or one member be honored. I found it as being a pastor that a lot of times sickness and trouble and heartache and despair and sadness and things like that can many times bring people closer together than honor will. So if one person is honored in the church, especially if it's a preacher, or one is more gifted, or one is getting more recognition, How many people get jealous of people suffering? Any of y'all ever got jealous of somebody having a migraine? You ever get jealous of anybody having a kidney stone? Well, I can tell you right now, if you do, it's a sign you ain't never had one. You ever get jealous of anybody having back pain? Well, shoot, 
I heard this down in their back. That makes me so jealous. I, I can't stand it. I'm just wanting that so bad. Isn't it amazing we don't get jealous of that? We don't get jealous of trials. We don't get jealous of testing. But we do get jealous of honor and praise and, you know, one being lifted up. But a real true unity in the body can treat honor with the same love and respect and the exact same channel as it can if you hear that brother or sister is down in their back or they're having a physical issue and you, oh God, oh God, please, please help them. Why are we more touched with sadness? Why are we more touched with pain than we would be with honor? Isn't this something? Because I'll tell you why. It was that that caused Satan's fall in the beginning. It was not that he was jealous of God in the sense of God, well, he knew he couldn't make stars and he knew he couldn't create a universe, but he wanted to be like him. So he said in his heart, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And what you notice, he never said, I'll exalt my stars above the stars of God. He didn't have none and couldn't make none. How come he didn't say, I'll exalt my earth above God's earth? He didn't have an earth, so he had to take what God made. But he did have a throne. So what he wanted to do was exalt himself. And that's where a lot of this pride and all this sort of thing comes from and jealousy. Boy, I don't know why I'm preaching on this. This ain't even in my notes tonight. I guess I probably should follow it though, you reckon? And people wanting recognition of this and that and the other. And you find jealousy can be so hard. I love the way this early church writer, maybe you've never heard of his name before, Chrysostom, Chrysostom said, an early church writer, when a thorn enters the heel, the whole body feels it and is concerned. The back bends. The belly and the thighs contract. Now listen at the inside. Brothers, you don't have it, so don't, don't look for it. Uh, the back will bend. So a thorn enters the heel. And whenever it does, the back will bend. Well, the back can't bend and the thighs and the belly try to go against them. So what do they do? This bends, which pulls the muscles in your back and these here will contract. So they are tightening up in order to allow the back to bend. What good would it do for the back to try to bend if these muscles just say, I ain't doing it, I ain't doing it, I ain't doing it. I get tired of doing that. I get tired of doing that. But what does it do? The brain sends the command to the back and the muscles in the back begin to expand and these muscles here from the same control tower in the brain will cause them to be able to contract together in order to allow you to bend. Now it said the back is concerned and the back will bend, the belly and the thighs contract, the hands come forward. Now look at what's happening all instantaneously, one working with the other. So the back will bend, the belly muscles and all that will contract which allows the torso to bend over and then the hands will begin to reach forward. What for? To try to pull that thorn out of the heel. Now listen to the insight that this man had. To draw out the thorn, the head stoops and the eyes regard the affected member with intense gaze. 
So a little tiny thorn enters into the foot and all these things start taking place. What is that? That's a body that's in unison. That's a body. Now the pain isn't in the back and the pain is not in the belly. The pain is not in the arms. The pain is not in the fingers. The pain is not in the eyes. But all of the body is reacting in such a way to bring relief to that one little tiny spot that has the thorn. Isn't that awesome? Now, notice this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So we're baptized by one spirit into one body, but yet we do not lose our particular identity. So we will not all be the same hair color in heaven. We'll not all be the same size. We'll not all be the same color. We will not all be exactly the same and look exactly the same. God is not gonna have a copy machine and just keep copying one after another after another and all of us look exactly alike. That will not be. And yet God does the same thing here in this mystical body on the earth and even in ministry and gifts. So God will have some that lean more toward the intellectual side. Paul did a great man of great wisdom and understanding. But he did not lean toward the intellect to lead him. He let God let the spirit lead his intellect. Yet Peter was more of a firebrand type of preacher. Andrew, a prayer warrior. So God had this diversity inside the body and each one of them found what God wanted them to be. Now, the, the mystery of it all is God being able to bring us into that real spot. Notice what he said. Now, ye are the body of Christ, all the members together, and members in particular. You see, true Christians that are truly born again of the Spirit of God and have the Holy Ghost. Now, listen to these words carefully. A true Christian born of the Spirit of God and they have the seal of the Holy Ghost. They actually manifest the personal presence, the personal presence of Jesus Christ. Every Christian does not have the ability to manifest the personal presence. Now that is a Greek word that Paul used in, in the New Testament, several different places, and you've heard it. It started a camp many, many years ago in our ranks called Perugia. And what that means is there's two different words that was used for the coming of the Lord. One of them was the physical appearing, the corporal appearing, and the other was the personal presence appearing. Now, every child of God that is filled with the Holy Ghost has something special about them which is not themselves. Now, as the people of God, we can't brag on that because it's not something we prayed for. It's not something we fasted for. It's something that our Father gave us by inheriting his divine nature. And that's why sometimes that people will get around members of the bride, real true members of the bride, and they'll say, there's something different about you. What do you go to church? There's something different. What is it that's different about you? I'm fixing to tell you what that is. That's the personal presence of the Lord Jesus himself, deposited in the female form of him on the earth. 
Now, Christians, denominational Christians, other types of Christians, do they have something with the Lord? Absolutely. Can they say, I was lost and God saved me? Absolutely. Can they say, God delivered me of drinking? Absolutely. But do they have that personal presence? I'm not talking about emotion now. I'm not talking about just running and jumping and we believe in all of that. But there is a personal presence of Christ that is in every member of his body. So this is his personal presence among men. In Christ was the incarnate God. In the bride, his elect body, is the incarnate Christ today. So no doubt there was a special something about the Lord Jesus for those who were sensitive toward God. Brother Charlie Cox told me one time that when Brother Brandon would come down hunting and they'd go out and hunting squirrels and he'd have squirrel blood all over his clothes and his beard would be all grown out. Certainly it didn't look like a preacher, didn't look like a prophet. But they'd go in them stores maybe after they'd hunt on the morning to get them a sandwich or something like that. And them old guys sitting around whittling, y'all know what whittling is? They'd sit around on the front porch whittling and talking, spitting amber out of the side of their mouth. And whenever Brother Branham would walk by, there was just something about him, an aura, a presence. Those of you, there's some here tonight that was actually around him, so they could probably witness that to us. And there was something special. I no doubt we will never have what God allowed him to have. But I believe as the people of God, he desires his personal presence to be so expressed out of our lives that people know there's something different about you as a child of God. I mean, knows what I'm talking about and you've experienced it yourself. Now, whenever that happens to us, we do not need to be as if though we've got something to be happy about ourselves, but we should be happy that it is speaking out of us and other people are able to sense it. Now, how in the world, born, we born into this world, lost, unregenerate away from the presence of God, could God ever get us back to that spot? So we had to be redeemed back to our place in Christ. Now, not before uh, the world began, of course, in the mind of God as a thought alone, but what God wanted us to come to substance as he wanted to come to substance himself. I love the way the prophet says it in the future home, that he thought about himself as being a human. And he transmitted that down to become Jesus. So here was this, this primary thought of God, which was the Logos. And God thought of himself as being a human. Now, he didn't think of that, of course, in the form of the early stages of the, of the dawn of creation. But there was a manifestation of a time limit by which that thought would express itself. Had he thought of that initially, then he would have come out of the realm invisible and he would have manifested himself in the human body way back yonder in the eons of ages ago. But he thought about that with a time frame on that thought. And you're exactly the same way. You see, even though we were in the mind of God, in the mind of the eternal, but God had a time frame on the span of your life. So there was a time frame attached to you as being the thought of God. You follow me? God thought of the earth the same way. And we know, of course, that the angels actually fell from heaven before the earth was ever brought into existence. So they fell before the foundation of the earth. And the earth was one of God's attributes. So how is God then gonna get us back to that place to where we wouldn't just be thoughts, 
but we would actually be manifested thoughts expressed in a human form. Now, you know, the plan of redemption is so wonderful, and yet there's parts about it that is so mysterious. Turn with me if you're in Revelation chapter five, verse one. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. Now here John is carried up into a vision. Now remember, things in a vision aren't always as they appear. Now watch what this is gonna happen and how, when we just jump down to verse, let's, let's look at verse six. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Now John is carried up into a dimension and the prophets of course would see their visions in the fourth dimension. Light, matter, time, science, where the unbeliever goes, where the believer goes, and where God is. So in that realm of the fourth dimension, that's the realm of television through the ether waves. So in that realm, a prophet could break into there and he would see something, it might be a symbol, it might, he might see a sheep and it might be represent wool, it might represent a lamb. So he actually needed an interpretation of that vision. So I want you to notice now John sees and he said, behold and I lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts. So here was a throne setting and there was four beasts and in the midst of the elders. So this is going to identify a certain time frame of when this is going to take place. So there's four beasts, four creatures. And there was also elders, midst of the elders. And there stood a lamb as it had been slain. So now this is not before the pre, this is, this is not the pre-incarnate status of the Logos. This is not what was before the throne of God, before humanity. Notice when John breaks into this, he says, there stood a lamb as it had been slain. So here John picks up in this stage of the vision, but this vision, according to the time slot, would actually have been after the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord. So here it was that this lamb, as it had been slain. Now notice the time frame. Having seven horns and seven eyes. Well, what is that? That's the church ages, of course. So when John looks and sees and um, this, this is very important, of course, in the book of redemption because God wanted to make known what our inheritance was. I realize there's an element of people that say they follow the message and they say they believe the message, yet they see no importance of preaching from the opening book. They see no importance at all. And studying on the seals, they see no value whatsoever of bringing it from that way. I'd like to know how in the world you think you're ever gonna produce a rapturing faith preaching the same Bible stories that's been preached for 2,000 years and trying to bring a rapturing faith. It, never, it didn't rapture them 2,000 years ago. It ain't gonna rapture you tonight. It's gonna have to be preached. Oh yes, we'll still preach the same Bible stories, but we will preach some Bible stories through an open book in order to bring the true reality of where we are in this end time. Now, I remember preaching some along this line a couple of years ago, and I remember a preacher that really got upset at me. He was actually sitting in our church whenever I dealt with it, and I saw that look come across his face. And I knew right then he didn't like the direction I was going. But it wasn't what I was saying was wrong. It was just his understanding was so shallow, he didn't even know where I was coming from. 
So he took it all to one side and made a mess out of it, of course. But I want you to notice how that when John sees this, and he sees this lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. Now remember the seven horns are the power of the lamb revealed in the seven church ages. So this is not, John is not seeing the vision of this before the foundation of the world. But it's in the time frame, it's during the dispensation of the church ages. Seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. They say, Brother Donnie, what in the world has this got to do with us finding our position? Because these are the only people right here that will ever find it. The others will go from church to church. They'll go from doctrine to doctrine. And they'll, they'll be drunk on the wine of the whore. They will be drunk on the tribulation, pre-tribulation anointing. They will have no understanding, no need. The necessity of it will never strike their soul to be ready for the ultimate, which is the body change. They will go right on thinking everything's fine. I go to church, I belong to church. My name is on the book, which means the more to God than nothing. But yet those who really wants that God calls their name from that book and they catch the identity and they heard their name called and they heard from their theophany, which by the way, you can't hear from your theophany if you don't have one. And those who have one is that theophany is the word made manifest and it lines up appropriately with the horn and the eye in the age that you live in. So notice now whenever John sees this and he's breaking into this vision and verse seven he said, he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Now remember God is not a man. God is not a human being. God is a spirit, but this is a vision. So things can appear in a vision, in a vision form, which does not mean they're in a reality form. I'm sorry you didn't know Brother Ram said that. But remember when the seals come open, when John writes about them here in Revelation, they was opened up in a vision form. But the prophet said, how much more will it be in the seals in the reality form? So there is a vision form and a reality form. And John is seeing this in a vision. So it was not like God was an old man sitting on the throne and there was Jesus, his little boy, and this little boy come up and took the book out of his daddy's hand. It's a vision. It's a vision. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and 20 elders, now remember, four and 20 elders, 12 from the Old Testament, 12 from the New. So what are we talking about? After the crucifixion. I want you to listen carefully now. The Lord Jesus could not do this at the cross. This could not be fulfilled at the cross. Now listen to me carefully. The blood, the death, the burial, the resurrection, there had never been anything like it and there still hasn't been. But this book was not opened after the blood was shed after he died and was buried, 
even after he raised again. Now remember, redemption has multiple stages. Absolutely, the blood was essential. But the blood alone did not loose the seven seals. The resurrection, there had never been anything like it before, but his resurrection did not loose the seven seals. Look, friends, what a day we live in. What a privileged people we are to live under the administration of an open book at the end time. Now think of it, even after his death, burial, and resurrection, the book still had not been opened. Oh, my. Notice what happens here. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now look how your prayers are actually stored up in vials in heaven. And whenever this come open, notice when the lamb takes the book and then there's this reaction in heaven that the beast fall down before him and the four and 20 elders fall down before him. And whenever they do, they bring these vials full of the prayers of the saints. Oh my, thank you, Lord. And these prayers were like odors, like the incense in the Old Testament. And they had been stored up, these prayers. And whenever the lamb takes the book, it releases the prayers of God's people. What are they praying for? Redemption, resurrection, rapture, body change, life's member to come in so they can leave. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. And they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals that were for thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Now who is this that's singing this song? This is the redeemed that have experienced this name calling out of the open book. And it's redeemed us to God, notice, by thy blood. How were they redeemed? And notice the curious mystery of redemption is being worked out right now by this mysterious creature that John looked at and saw by vision. It's still being worked out tonight. There might be 500 left. There might be 1,000. There might be 100,000. Who knows? But whenever the last name is called and finished and the mystery of redemption is done, then the lamb will take for the human counterpart of the book. You understand that he took the book out of the eternities and broke the seals, but there is a human counterpart of that book on the earth. Glory to God. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. So what are they doing? They're giving acknowledgement and recognition that this has been after he was slain. So when did he take this book? I want you to notice what they keep saying about him. What attribute title they keep using. Lamb, lamb. Lamb. 
Don't you understand why this could not happen on the cross? Because a goat cannot take that book. Hallelujah. He went there as a lamb, but he died as a goat. A goat could not take the book. Look at the lamb-goat imagery in our Lord Jesus. Why would he take that imagery upon himself? Because his wife bore that same imagery. He was a lamb first and become a goat. You were a goat nature and become a lamb. Hallelujah. Don't you see what he did? John said, behold, not the goat of God, the lamb of God. Now notice what these people are saying. Friends, don't you understand this is us by theophanic representation in the presence of God. And it's made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. But how is this made possible for us to be in the family of God? He must take our sin. People have no problem with Jesus becoming a lamb, but I'll tell you what will make them sick to their stomach. Even some of the message folks, when you preach the real truth, he wasn't just a lamb, he become a goat. That's all right, you can hold your amen so I read you the quotes and then you can say amen then. A lamb took the book, not a goat. Hanging on that cross, he became a goat. And never did anything wrong. Don't you remember in Leviticus 16? Don't you remember in the several different places when God gave them the sacrifices and the order of the sacrifice? One would require a bullock, another would require a lamb. But on certain days and on certain occasions, there must be a goat. On the Day of Atonement, there was two goats. They would cast lots, the priests would. They would cast lots upon the goats. One goat was killed and the other one, the sins of the people were transferred. The priest would lay his hands on the head of the goat and transfer their sins. Now you imagine you'd been standing there that day and you never saw no sin go on the head of that goat, but you had to believe that somehow that priest could transfer not only your sins, the sins of the entire nation were transferred on the head of that goat. One goat was killed 
and the other one was took by a clean man which had washed his garments and met certain stringent requirements given by God. And the man would go out into the wilderness. He didn't kill the goat, but he turned the goat loose. And the goat would wander out beyond the camp of the people of God until those sins would actually kill that goat. Some of them would live for days, some of them live for weeks, but eventually, you're talking about a strange, bizarre thing. You've got this goat out there roaming around in the wilderness. There was nothing physically wrong with him. There was no heart issues, no liver issues. The whole issue was sin. And the sins of all of these thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people was on this goat and he was wandering around and wandering around and many of the theologians down through the church ages, many of them said that goat in the wilderness was the devil. God sent us a prophet in the end time to straighten out that false teaching and let us know both of those goats were our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he must die and then he must go into the wilderness called Hades. I know, friends, this nearly chokes us to death. When he gave his life on the cross, he died the death of a sinner. And he'd never done one thing wrong. Notice the prophet here says that living, dying, buried, rising, coming in the scriptures in the Old Testament at the sin offering when they got two goats. And these goats, Jesus represented both of them and they represented him rather. And one goat was killed and the other, the sins of the nation was placed upon this goat called, not the scape lamb, the scapegoat. And the goat had to go out into the wilderness to die, to be out there alone amongst the beast. Jesus had to be that goat. I want you to notice he was a lamb, he was a sheep, but he was made goat for you and I. Dear God, that we being goat might become sheep. So if we were goat by fallen nature, he could not have fully redeemed us if he would have just come down to the level of lamb. Oh, and Moses beat that brass years and years and years before this and hung it up on a pole. What a stumbling block it must have been to some of the people of Israel that day when God said, thou shalt make no graven image. And yet that prophet stood there and took a hammer and beat that brass and beat it into a serpent. Why a serpent? Why a serpent? Don't you understand? The Lord Jesus became that serpent on the pole. On Golgotha. 
Brother Donnie, I can't stand it when you make him that low. You know why? Tradition won't let you go that low. If the devil can keep that head from you, you'll never have the full understanding of the redemption that he's paid for you. I didn't bring him this place. He brought himself. I didn't bring him here. You didn't bring him here. The prophet of God never brought him there. He brought himself, Brother Joe, to that place. He was made goat for you and I. That we being goat might become sheep. Sheep, we being sinners guilty of death, subject to death, and sold out under condemnation, yet Christ become me, that I through his grace might become him a son of God, seated at the right hand of God in glory. Lord, have mercy. So he become me that I might become him. He took my place as a goat that I might become a sheep. He goes on and said, then I said a few moments ago, he become, we were goats. He become goat, goat for us. He becomes sin for us. That's the reason he had to be punished the way he was because all of our sins were placed upon him and there he had to bear them away in his own body to Calvary. And we know the anointing left him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He walked into the Garden of Gethsemane, a son of God, with the incarnate Father in him. He walked out of that same garden and the anointing left him. And there was a transfer a transfer. You see, it was in a garden many millennia before that the first son of God made his choice to forfeit his right as a son of God to redeem his wife. Now it's another garden with the real son of God. Forsaking all, the prophet tells us in 1962 in Phoenix, he forsook his sonship. Don't you see reconciliation and redemption, what it is? Adam forsook his in the Garden of Eden. The Lord Jesus forsook his in the Garden of Gethsemane. What was it for? Both of them. The love of a woman. I'd like to preach that to you sometime. For the love of a woman. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus forsook his sonship. He walked in there the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Oh, he walked in there the manifestation, the attributes of God, the alpha, all the great things that he was. And he walked out a goat with your lying, your drinking, your adultery, your smoking, my filth, our abominations. Walked into the howling wilderness of humanity, bearing our sins. And as great as that was, he could not take the book because John did not see a goat walk before the throne of God and say, give me that book. 
he was cursed in the eyes of God. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. How many's ever done something wrong and you feel so bad, so filthy, so awful? And you do that with one sin on you? It's hard for our minds to imagine, isn't it? The sins of the entire world. Every murder, every abortion, every curse word, everything that was ever been. Brother Rob, I don't see how he made it. I don't see how he walked out of there. He must have been so bored. Oh, just bearing our our sins and our, our, our sorrows and just so weighted down and felt so guilty and felt so dirty and felt so filthy. Remember on the cross, he didn't say, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? But my God, my God, why he forfeited sonship in the garden. So I could stand before you tonight as a son of God. So you could sit here and say amen to the word as sons and daughters of God. We were goats. He become goat for us. He become sin for us. That's the reason he had to be punished the way that he was because all of our sins were placed upon him and there had to, he had to bear them away in his own body to Calvary. A reproach, a disgrace, sinfully hanging there. The Lord Jesus become a reproach. He was a disgrace. Sinfully, sinfully hanging there, naked, stripped, bleeding. And listen to this last word, bleeding, bleeding. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He did not die the death of a righteous man. He died the death of a sinner. So for those of us who have to face death, we can face it as a son or daughter of God. And say, death, you ain't got no hold on me. Why? Because he become a goat. No wonder heaven was an explosion in revival when he took that book. Because from heaven's point of view, this was such a tremendous the most sublime thing in scripture because from their view they see what he did we have it watered down through denominational this and that and the other come on somebody I think we really need to look at it tonight in full scope of what it was 
He was God and become man. That was a great condescension, but he had to go further. He had to go from being man to become a sinner. He was a Logos and he became a human being. He was the Lamb of God as John so identified him. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. But he could not remain the Lamb identity. He had to take on that identity of a goat. Now remember this book that John saw. Whatever was in this book was so important that it went from the hands of Adam in the Garden of Eden back to the original owner. It could not be stored in the courthouse of heaven. It could not be stored in the library. You know, God has a library. Cain's names. There's also books in there in his library called the Book of Remembrance. But this book couldn't go there. This book was so important it had to go back into the hands of him who sat on the throne. Now watch in Revelation 10, 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face were as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book. Would you notice now the size of this book? It was a little book open. So the size is determining what he's gathering. So it's not all the names of the billions of people that have lived on the face of the earth and he's coming to call their names because no doubt it would be big books. But this book specified a particular need, a particular purpose. Now this is the same one that we saw in Revelation 5, but now he's changed his appearance. He's appearing in a form which matches Revelation 10.1. Now his garments, remember it was an actor, so he's changing his garments. The garments that he wore in Revelation 5 would not be fitting for Revelation 10. So he changed his garments according to the scene and what the act is calling for. I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud. Revelation 5 doesn't mention nothing about that. And a rainbow was upon his head. Revelation 5 doesn't mention that. And his face were as the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book. Now notice John specifically notices the status of this book. He noticed that it was small and he noticed that it was open. So something had happened in between Revelation 5 
and Revelation 10. What was that? Revelation 6. So when the Lamb opened the seals, when he started opening them, the mystery of what was on the inside, the letters written inside of there, the mystery was made known. So when he appears in Revelation 10, he notices that the book is open, which means the seven seals had been tore off the backside. So remember, it was in the form of a scroll, like this when the prophet preached it, he said, if it was one of our modern day books, it would be like straps around it. So there'd be seven straps around it. But in then, of course, they would have a scroll and they would roll it up and then they'd put something around it and they would put a seal, the king's seal or a magistrate's seal or you know, somebody in a court, whatever it was, and they'd take hot wax and they'd pour on side that scroll paper and they'd roll it together and they'd pour the hot wax and then they'd take their seal, which would either be on a, a, an amulet type of thing, wore around their neck like a necklace or it would be on a, on a, on a ring. So they would take that and they'd heat it up and they'd put that seal inside of there. Then that was delivered to whoever it was delivered to and that seal better not be broken. It had to remain sealed. So whenever the man received it, then he would take it and he would pop that seal. What was it? Breaking the wax. So he would break that seal and then he would unroll the document and he would start reading the contents because it was sent for the eyes of a certain individual. Now the man carrying it or the whole train or whatever it was, it was not intended for them. They were just messengers, but it was intended for the one that was sent to. Can't you see why in each church age that he said unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right unto the angel of the church of so on and so on, right. So God gives to them the mystery of the revelation of their age by the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost breaks that seal, opens the mystery and makes it known. This is why the prophet said, one of those angels came each day. Can you imagine what a phenomenal thing was happening in 1963 when each one of those angels, one of them came each day and made known the mystery to the seventh angel on the earth the mystery which was made known only to them. So nobody else in the church age knew the fullness of it and God had to send those seven theophanic beings in those, but you imagine the angels of God hovered around that tabernacle in, in March of 1963. Can you imagine the angels of God hearing things that had not been uttered, many of those things since the foundation of the world? And don't you know demons was in there too? And why some of these people in the message don't want to preach this message? It's more than I can comprehend. This was so important to God that angels were gathered around that place. Angelic visitation like had never been on the earth. He had in his hand a little book open and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Verse eight. Now you know verse three, there he cried with a loud voice. Let's jump down here to eight. Verse eight. Now the declaration is made that time shall be no more. But I want you to notice in this 10th chapter, Something happens now to a goat, which was a goat, but had now become a lamb. Because the man who took the book, which was a lamb, become a, a goat, 
and turn back into the lamb stage. Oh, glory to God. Don't you understand what Jesus was? The goat was part of the act. He wasn't goat first, he become goat. You were only goat because you was in a fallen nature, but you were sheep before the foundation of the world. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. This is the same book that the heavens had been searched, the earth had been searched, and no one was found worthy. Jesus was the missing link. As the serpent is the missing link between the animal kingdom and the human kingdom, Jesus was the missing link between the divine kingdom and humanity. Don't you see Satan only copied what God did? There was a missing link there. Where did he get that imagery from? Somehow he was able to see it from the foundation of the world. Back there when God created him and Michael was no doubt there and he was able to pick it up somehow and he thought, this is what I've got to do. I've got to have a link. God's got what I need one. Here was the link and the link took the book and tore the seals off and opened it. But don't you see, he didn't open it for himself. He opened it for you. Don't you understand, there would have never been a general resurrection. There would have never been a general resurrection. A rapture could have never been if the book had not been revealed in Revelation 10. They had his blood. They had proof of his resurrection. There was men still alive that saw him dead and saw him alive again. They had the blood which had purged them. Thank God for the blood. Don't we thank God for the blood? We need it every day of our lives. But don't you understand the opening of the book? It's a part of the plan of redemption, just like the blood, just like the cross, just like the resurrection. So why leave that part out? This has to do with our inheritance after we're washed in the blood. This has to do with us seeing who we are. Oh, if the church could recognize who she is, he says, and one day she will, and the rapture will go, not come. He didn't say the rapture will come, but the rapture will go when she recognizes who she is. And it's amazing because he didn't say when she recognizes who I am. Well, I hope we have. I hope we've recognized Malachi for heaven, but that within itself has not produced the rapture yet. Don't you understand it's not enough for us to recognize Malachi 4? We've got to see who we are. We've got to see who we are in the body. Well, I'm a singer, I'm a songwriter, I'm this, that, the other, that's good. But who are you and what are you? I'm not talking about just your natural calling line. One day my preaching will cease. One day there'll be no more preaching in heaven, but what will I be when I get to heaven? 
and expressed son of God that was there in his thinking before the foundation of the world and brought back in a human body and when it's all said and done there will be those thoughts in his mind manifested in flesh eternal life in human bodies can you imagine eternal eyeballs can you imagine eternal eyelashes eternal fingers eternal toes eternal glory to God hallelujah what a day awaits us children of God but we must take the mark we've got to eat it Now, I want you to notice what happens to John in verse 9. And I went. I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. What in the world happened to this man from Revelation 5 whenever John heard everything in heaven, everything else weeping and crying and no man was found worthy and John looks and says, my, my, what in the world is going to happen? But something happened to him. Oh, children. This is what I want to happen to us. Then we can look and realize, Papa, give me the book. Give me my portion of who I am. Then truly we will be able to say, not just quote, I and my Father are one. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book, John, are you out of your mind? An angel couldn't even have this. It couldn't. John could not walk up and take that book in Revelation 5. But the mediator humanized the reception of the book. The ability to receive the book for any human being was when God changed his currency from divine to human. So it was not a theophanic hand that reached forth and took it out of the hand of him that sat on the throne in Revelation 5. It was not an angel. It was God's own humanity. So here was the breach. The breach that reached up and took the book when he took it. It ain't no wonder the rest of them were shouting and jumping and hollering. They said, glory to God, I get my portion. I get my chance to take it too. Here was the missing link between the book and the bride. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, eat it up and it shall make thy belly bitter but in thy mouth sweet as honey and I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up and it was in my mouth sweet as honey and as soon as I had eaten it my belly was bitter 
Notice the prophet here said he had a little book that John had to eat and when he did, he got it into his belly and it was bitter, but in his lips it was sweet. When you have to digest it, then it gets bitter. Everybody against you. Everybody telling you you're a holy roller. You're this or that or the other. You're off in your head. It's hard to digest it. But when you're testifying of his glory, it's sweet in your lips. How many has been there and done that? It's sweet in your lips, that's all. But when you stand up in a meeting and say, glory to God, oh, when you're going down through that great siege, it's hard. But then when you're out there in that great siege, you can testify of it, then it's sweet in the lips. That's this book of redemption. Do you understand when it comes into you but divine revelation? And you eat of this word of God. Don't you understand? It's going to be sweet and bitter mixed together. But you're testifying of what John testified. It shows that the Lamb has given you your portion of the book. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So you see, we too needed the book to become open to us in this day. Why, Brother Donnie? So we would know the contents. My goodness, we spent years and years and years. Surely the goodness we're further up the road than when we first come to the message, aren't we? Aren't we? What do we want to do? We don't want to make great men, you know, models out of them and that. Well, we want to eat the book. So you can come to your place. I can come to mine. We can find who we are in Christ Jesus. So we can call for the resurrection. Well, I know it's, I know it's just going to choke some of you death. The prophet of God said, one day you will speak your own body. You will call your own body. If you've died and entered into, the, into that sixth dimension, you will call for your own body. Now we see in this seven seal book, it is the mystery of redemption. It's a book of redemption from God. Now all the mysteries at this time should be finished at the sounding of this messenger. And here's the angel on earth and another angel, mighty messenger, came down. See, the angel was an earthly angel, messenger. But here comes one down from heaven, a rainbow covenant. Only Christ, it could be. It's just exactly like it was in Revelation, the first chapter. Notice, so that he takes on the imagery of Revelation 1, not Revelation 5. You see, friends, this is what cleanses us as we walk in the light as he is in the light. As he is in the light, and the light will change from one phase to another, from one brilliance to another, from one effigy of glory to another. And we must find him and when we find him, we'll be able to be identified with him. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we will have fellowship one with another. And no, that ain't you and your wife, and that ain't you and your brother. John is relating fellowshipping between you and God. 
We will have fellowship one with another as we looked at it Sunday. Oh my, we will have fellowship one with another and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanseth us from all sin. Don't you see why? We must come to our spot. That's what cleanses us, keeps us ready for the rapture. I'm not talking about people supposing they're under the blood. There'll be millions of them that think they're under the blood, but all they've got is a chemistry in their minds. They've got a paint in their mind, but they've not found Jesus in the light of this day. They've found Jesus in the light of 2,000 years ago. I've got to find him in the light of 2024 in order for my sins to be purged. If not, I will meet him as a filthy, foolish virgin. Don't you understand why the bride must be harmonizing with the light of the day, the releasing of your sins is identified under the administration of the Son of Man. And the bridegroom's call will come right through this message. I know it may seem staggering to some of you, but there are men who say they believe this message that preach that people can be in a denomination and go in the rapture. Even be in the Catholic church and go in the rapture. Why do we need this message then? Why waste our time reading it? Why, if God's gonna let everybody and their brother go in and dress like everything in the world and pray to St. Cecilia and pray to Mary, what? The Bible says there is one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus. Notice the seven seals, he says, has the book sealed. The book is absolutely sealed. Do you see it? The book is absolutely a sealed book under the seven seals is broken. It is sealed up with seven seals. Now that's different from the seven thunders. This is the seven seals on the book and the book, the seals will not be released until the message of the seventh angel. Paul never mentioned seven seals. Well, don't start to look at me funny. He never. Paul never mentioned seven thunders. He preached the cross. He preached the blood. He preached redemption through reconciliation. God never showed Paul. There was no need for it. He's living in the first church age. So God did not allow the book to become open even after Jesus went to heaven in the first church age. It was saved for your day. I don't blame the devil. If I was him, I'd fight this message too. If I was a devil, I'd hate this message. I'd hate every message preacher that's really preaching it, that is. I'd do everything in the world I could to stop them. <laughs> but guess what, devil? You ain't gonna stop us because this didn't start with us. It didn't start with me. It didn't start with you. It started with the Lord God before the foundation of the world. Let me just say there ain't enough demons out of hell to stop this message. There ain't enough websites. There ain't enough liars. There ain't enough people trying to accuse the prophet of God. This message will be standing when the world is on fire. Hallelujah. I don't know about 
you tonight, friend. I thank God for the messenger of Malachi 4. I thank God for this end time message. It's gonna be the very thing that's gonna change our bodies. The seals will not be released into the message of the seventh angel. Let's stand. So you see, we're presuming, but the genuine revelation of God will be made perfect in that sounding and vindicated truth. That's exactly what the word said. The mystery should be finished at that time. The seven sealed book, remember, it was closed in Revelation, the fifth chapter, and in Revelation, the tenth chapter, it was opened. Now we're going to see what the book says about how it become open. And it's not made known until the lamb takes the book. Now remember, not the goat. Do you understand? He could not do this at the cross. The actor's garment was a goat, not a lamb. If he would have tried to went before the throne of God, he would have been thrown out of the presence of God. But he wouldn't do it because he knew his position. And just like with ours, there comes hardships and difficulty. But I guarantee you one thing, there ain't not one member of the bride of Christ has ever been through what our Lord Jesus went through. Ain't that right? We were in the cesspool of sin and our way's been up from the time he saved us. But his way was come down, hated, criticized, ridiculed, lied, forsaken by men, and then turned right at the very end, and Father God, the Spirit, forsook him and let him die, sinner, this horrible death, in order to redeem us. So if you're here tonight and you've still got a goat nature, you don't have to have it anymore. You can become converted right here before this service ends. He become a goat so you could become a lamb. So if you're stubborn and hard-headed and nobody tell me nothing, well, whether or not you want to admit it, I'm going to admit it for you. You've got a goat nature. You're stubborn, you're bad, this, bad, I don't believe that, I don't believe that. Well, get a lamb nature and you'll believe every word God spoke. Praise God. Oh, my. Let's jump down here to the brothers, the conference title there in Tucson. As you people that here has had the tapes on the seven seals, when the Lamb come forth to claim his redemption, what he had redeemed, time is finished then. He's working in it now, doing the work of redemption. But someday he walks from the sanctuary to take up the book of redemption that he's purchased with his own blood. So there's a vision, visionary image of this taking a book, and there's the reality form of taking the book. Oh, glory to God. Now remember, it was not the taking of the book that purchased it. It was the blood. It was not the resurrection from the dead that purchased it. All of this is steps into the redemption. You understand? So we can't do away with any of them. Then the hour is over. He comes forth then to claim what he has redeemed. Oh, I got to read one more. Is it okay? That's good because I was going to anyway, but it just makes it nicer when y'all say amen. Listen to this. 
Now you see the seals? When he was in his mediatorial work back there redeeming. But someday he comes forth to get this book. Oh, that he's redeemed. And all that's in this book would be him. For that's the believer. The words in the book. So in Revelation 5, in symbol form, he takes the book from the eternities. Revelation 10, he gives it to John. In our age, the seals are tore off. The mysteries made known. Can't you see how one leads into the other, into the other? And then the last taking of the book is when your body's changed. I love this one, Cross the Mystery. Oh, I absolutely love it. Someday he comes forth to get this book. Now notice someday he comes. This, this is no fulfilled, friends. Someday he comes forth to get this book that he's redeemed. And all that's in this book would be him. For that's the believer. Wow, it makes it sound like you and him are, are the same. Oh, I guess that's what he meant when he preached it in the rising of the sun. These are sealed. She is him. You see, we ain't got it yet. Y'all just stand there like a bunch of Baptists. When it hits you about three in the morning, you'll tear the sheets off your bed. You're going to run and scream, and your wife will be dialing 911 and say, Honey, what in the world's the matter? I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> but you know what you're looking at? The goat. That's right. And if you don't get your eyes off this right here, you ain't going in no rapture. I read at the scene where Brother Bam was talking about priest standing for Sunday. And he said, as priests, we come to sacrifice and worship the Lord and praise him. And he said, you let the devil tell you you're too tired. You're too tired. And he said, you keep letting him do that. He will take you to hell. You imagine by you letting the devil tell you that you're too tired to worship God and you keep listening to him and you'll let him take you to hell. I thought, wow, that is serious, is it not? Let me close. All that's in this book would be him, for that's the believer, the words in the book. The believer is the words in the book. So friend, it's not that in the book is the name Janet Payne. And... Um, um, Harry Reagan and Joe Harrah and Donald Lee Reagan Jr. That's not my real name. I've got a word name. But the mystery of my life, me coming to the earth, July the 9th, 1956, starting on my journey back to full redemption, get saved at 12. Get immersed in water in titles, wrong way. I would get the gift of the Holy Ghost. I would speak in tongues. I would start preaching at 18. All of that was right there. 
the mystery of my life. He would speak to me as I would cross Wolf Creek Dam, audibly out of the back seat of the vehicle I was riding in, and tell me about a predestinated plan and there's more light. I didn't even believe in predestination. What was it? The mystery of my life. Oh, glory to God. And all that's in that, he come for this book of redemption whose names are written on that book before the foundation of the world. Can I please read one more? The church is a predestinated church. Every name that was ever put on that book, Jesus came to redeem. And when that life's name is redeemed, the book is closed. He didn't intend that no one be lost, but his foreknowledge let him know who would be lost. Therefore, he could predestinate, and their names are put on that book. And when that book of redemption is closed and sealed with seven seals, while it's been worked out by the mysterious powers of God, and someday when that book of redemption is finished, the Lamb takes it. Then that last name is called off that. The Lamb comes forward to call for what He has redeemed. That's His church. And I believe the time is close at hand. And everybody said, Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Dear Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, as we have our heads bowed to the dust of the earth from whence our bodies were taken, we realize this flesh is not the real us. As I listened to a minister the other day, Lord, as he was sharing with me some of the experiences that he'd been through, his wife that he'd been married to for 21 years, he went to church on Sunday morning and she wasn't feeling good, so his two children came back after church to check on her. She was expecting twin boys. When they come back, they find their mama laying in the kitchen floor dead. They call their daddy. He comes in there, tore all to pieces, of course, shaking, quivering, crying. And he said, Brother Donnie, God let me see a vision. And he said, I saw my wife leave out of her body. And I saw two young men leave out of her as well. So the brother lost his wife and a set of twin boys in the same day. Yet, Lord God, you knew their names before the world ever began. As you know our names. No doubt the mystery of our life contains much sadness and sorrow. We'll have disappointments, heartbreaks, misunderstandings. And your will will inflict upon us sometimes pain and sorrow. But it's only for a fleeting moment. 
For as Paul said, I reckon that the present sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us at that day. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, help us to be faithful. If there's a one here tonight, Lord, that have not heard their name called from that book, I don't mean that they heard a a voice call some kind of name, but it was something that got a hold to them. Might have been sitting on a bar stool. They might have been out in a barn somewhere, just got through milking the cows. They might have been sitting in a Baptist church, a Pentecostal church, whatever more. But it was like something beyond them was calling them to a place higher than they ever knew. Lord God, I want to say tonight, I thank you so much that as human beings, you have allowed us as your people to express your personal presence in this day that we live. What an honor. To have a gift is a wonderful thing. To be able to sing for you, a wonderful thing. To be able to preach, awesome. But we know there'll be many people that will do those things and stand before you in Matthew 24, 24 and be judged and be lost. But if one ever is granted that personal presence of Jesus Christ and His being, that is His part of the book of life. For everything that was in the book was you. So the book of life is the mystery of your new married life. Hallelujah. For we know that our name was actually placed in that book when your name was. No doubt yours was the first one in the top of the page. And the prophet said, when your name was spoke there, so ours was spoken to existence before the foundation of the world. Written indelibly with the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank you for your blood tonight, Father. How we thank you for your resurrection. And how we thank you for taking the book in the last days and opening up to the bride what she needed to hear, what she needed to see, what she needed to rejoice in. The sad part about it is, Father, it helps us to realize there's people who sit in our own church People who've sat in message churches around the world and they would sit under the preaching of an open book for years and turn and walk away and go to some denominational vomit or go to some hybrid so-called message guy. They prove themselves unworthy of eternal life. How could a person ever walk away from the open book of Revelation 10 when they have been invited by the mighty angel himself. God, don't let them hear me tonight. Don't let them hear me inviting them to come and take the book. Lord God, you speak to them. 
John didn't hear Paul say it. John didn't hear Peter say it. John heard you say it. It was you that invited John to take the book. Oh, Jesus, we worship you tonight, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you love him, saints, with all your heart? Oh, I trust each of you tonight. I trust that you have heard him personally make the invitation Come and dine. The master call us. Come and dine. Not feeding on creeds, credentials of man, dogma, theology of some school somewhere, but feeding on the unfailing body word of the Son of Man. And he tells us after he preaches that great dynamic sermon, he says, children, what's that hunger in you? It's the Father trying to make Himself known to you. But you let so many things get in the way. How many knows that's most of our problems? You'd not believe the text, the emails, the WhatsApps that I've heard from preachers and from people all over everywhere since the service Sunday. One minister, many years my elder, said he didn't know how many years that he had left on the earth. But that sermon had changed his life. And how many every years he had left, he would be different from Sunday on. I thought, praise God, it was worth all the studying. I think but one individual gets it. Why? Because he began to realize what the Lord Jesus wants out of us. Our love, our praise, our adoration. Oh yes, bring your prayer requests to him. But don't just bring your prayer request. Just take times, as the song has been written many years ago. I didn't come to ask you for anything. But I just came to talk to you, Lord. You've answered a million prayers or more that I forgot to thank you for. But I just came to talk to you, Lord. Maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, there'll be trouble and sorrow and a thousand teardrops may fall. Oh, we've got so much to thank Him for tonight. Can we just love Him just a little? I know it's Wednesday, you've got to work and all that, but let's just take a few minutes before we go. You know that? Sing it for us. Praise the Lord. Oh, Jesus, thank you for the open book, Lord. I know what it's like to preach from a closed book. But I'm so grateful I don't have to preach from one anymore. I thank you, Lord God. We worship you, Jesus. Let's just worship it together. Sing for us, Harry. We praise you, Jesus. Didn't come here to ask you for anything. Listen to the words now. I just, just came, came to talk, talk 
with you, Lord. Hallelujah. You've answered a million prayers, a million prayers or more, no doubt. But I forgot I just got to too busy thank you for. Forgot to thank you for. I just came to talk with you, Lord. Hallelujah. Maybe tomorrow there'll be trouble and sorrow and a thousand teardrops may fall. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. But until, until I, I face tomorrow's, tomorrow's task. I have no, no special favors, special favors to ask for. I just came to talk with you, Lord. Chorus again. Oh, maybe tomorrow there'll be trouble and sorrow. And a thousand teardrops, they may fall. Hallelujah. But until I face tomorrow's test, I have no special favor to ask. I just came to talk with verse again. Listen to the words now. I didn't come here. I didn't come here, Lord, to ask, to ask you, ask you for, for anything. I just came to talk. I just wanted to talk to you, Lord. With you, Lord. Let you know I love you. I appreciate you. you what you mean answer. to me. A million, a million prayers for I, I forgot, forgot to thank you to for. Thank you for I just came to talk worshiping with you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Maybe, Maybe tomorrow, Lord. You're the only one who knows what it is. And a thousand teardrops may Hallelujah, hallelujah. But until I face tomorrow's task, I have no I have no special favors to ask. I just came to talk. Oh, Jesus, we come to love you. How many times, How many Lord, times Lord, have troubles brought me down to my, to my knees. knees? But I but this just time, came to talk. I just came to talk with you. With you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Have 
no thank you lord selfish no motive selfish in motive mind. in mine hallelujah i want to thank you for all the other times oh i just came to jesus let's just worship in now children let's just relate to him this way tonight There'll be trouble and sorrow And a thousand teardrops Thank you, Jesus But until I face tomorrow's task I have no special favor to ask I wanted to talk to you Lord with you praise God oh I didn't come here to ask you for anything I just came to talk That I forgot to thank you for I just came to talk Oh, praise the Lord Let's just talk to Him now in love and adoration Oh, maybe tomorrow There'll be trouble and sorrow And the time I have no special favors to ask. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Without the music now, can we just raise our hands? We said, Brother Donnie, I don't feel like it tonight. I've had a really bad day and I'm weary. Well, it'd be an excellent time for you to make a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice. What you're doing is you're doing two things. You're telling God that you love him and you praise him even when you don't feel like it. And you're letting the devil know he ain't your master. And he ain't taking you to hell. You wasn't born for hell, you was born for heaven. And you know how to love him even when you don't feel like loving him. You're sending heaven and hell both a message tonight. You're going to praise him when you don't feel like it. You're going to praise him when your arms are tired. And you might have a headache and you might be weary. And you're just waiting for the amen so you can go home. But I'll tell you what, you might get healed right now in this last two or three minutes before we let you go, because you might walk right out of that valley. You might praise yourself right out of that valley right now. Wouldn't it be worth it, friends? Oh, praise the Lord. 
We worship you tonight, Jesus. We love you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for all you mean to us, Lord. Oh, praise the Lord God. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We love you, Lord Jesus. How many can say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord? Harry, can we sing together a meeting in the air? Let's sing a little bit. We'll pick it up just a little bit as we go, and you're, you're free to go whenever you want. I believe that we're longing for that time. This song was written many years ago. It was a blessing down through the Pentecostal ages. Of course, the prophet sang it and really loved it. And we believe it's very fitting for us today. There's going to be a meeting in the air. Sorry for us, Harry. Let's sing it together. You Praise the Lord. Little Moses in the chorus. You have heard of fearless David and his slain. You have heard the story told of dreaming Joseph and of Jonah and the way we often sing. Well, there are many, many, many others. In the Bible, in God's Bible, I would like to meet them all. I do declare, by and by, the Lord will surely let us meet them at that meeting in the end. Oh, there is going to be a meeting in the air in that sweet. I am going to meet you, meet you over there in that home beyond the sky. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear, will be glorious, I do declare. For God's own Son will be the leading one at that At that meeting, for the morning's bins will have no place at all. There will never be a son preached to sinner, for the sinner has refused to heed the call. There will be no mourning over wayward love.
we'll be missing all together. All the skeptics will be absent on that day. There will never be to disturb us. And the Akins will be busy far away. There the saints will have their seat on their foreheads. Dressed in raiment, none but ransom one can wear. All who have a wedding garment will be present at their meeting in the end. Well, there is going to be a meeting in the air in that sweet, sweet by and by. I am going to meet meet you over there in that home.
Oh, I am going to meet you, meet you over there in that home beyond the sky. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear. Will be glorious, I do declare. When God's own Son will be the leading one at that meeting in the air. Oh, there is going to be a meeting in the air in that sweet, sweet by and by. I am going to meet you, meet you over there in that home beyond the sky. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear. Twill be glorious, I do declare. And God's own Son will be the leading one at that meeting. In the air, oh, there is going to be a meeting in the air, in that sweet, sweet by and by. I am going to 